the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. In other words, what he's saying here is, it goes beyond asking the question, what can I stop doing that might offend my brother or sister? And asks the deeper question, what can I start doing that would build up my brother or sister? That's the question we should be asking. What can I be doing in my life that will build up you? What can you be doing that would build up me? How can we strive for peace and mutual edification? Do you try to be a peacemaker within your family and friend relationships? In today's message from Pastor Gary, he encourages you to do everything you can to be a peacekeeper. It's easy to find the dirt and things you don't like, but start finding all of the things you do like. Pastor Gary urges you to find Jesus in everyone. Speak life to others and call out the things that are good and right. Do your best to build up others. This world is hard enough. Be someone that brings hope and light. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans chapter 14 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Drunkenness is a sin. I hope we can all agree on that. Drunkenness is a sin. The Bible spells it out as a sin. But then the question becomes... Well, how much before I get buzzed is okay. And for some Christians, they're like, you can't touch that stuff at all. You can't touch that stuff. Liquor, you know, and all this stuff. Okay. Now, here's the challenge. You know what the, the drunk blood alcohol content level is across the United States? You know what it is? In all 50 states, the blood alcohol content level for driving while intoxicated for DWI is 0. 0.08. 0.08. Okay. About a decade ago, it used to be 0.10, but they made the standard higher. So it's like, well, if you go off of the blood alcohol content level to determine at what point have I crossed over into the sin of drunkenness, I ask you, is God a 0.08 God or a 0.10 God? (laughs) And what if you go to some other countries where their standards are even higher? In Europe, as much as the Europeans drink, friends, it is 0.05. In places like China and Sweden, it is 0.02. I mean, you can hardly have a sip and you're going to be considered DWI. So is God a a Swedish God? Is God a European God? Is God an American God? And it gets all this kind of confusing stuff about alcohol itself. What about the issue of, you know, smoking, chewing, or dating girls who do? 
just thought I'd throw some fun in there, you know. And I've said this before. Listen, friends, some of you smoke like a chimney, and smoking won't make you go to hell, all right? It'll just make you smell like you've been there. You know what I'm talking about? So, uh, you know, and some of these are health issues, obviously, and some of these we should be wise about because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, what is okay? What is not? What is acceptable? What's a sin issue? This is really what chapter 14 is all about. So as we look at chapter 14 here, I want to go back now and and talk about what should we do in terms of how to relate to each other and all our differences concerning some of these, and a whole lot more. Okay, there's a whole lot more. What about tattoos? What about dancing? Dancing. Some Christians can and some Christians can't. That's what I have to say about that matter. But there's all kinds of matters that we can look at and say, well, this is kind of disputable. And what does the Bible really have to say about this? And what's okay for you? And what's okay for me? So this is what Paul does. I've pulled out six principles from chapter 14 about what he tells us we should do. And this is obviously by inspiration of the Spirit. So what does God say to us about what we should do in terms of relating to one another and our differences? Here's the first thing for you note-takers. Number one, accept someone whose faith is weak. Now, that's the way he refers to it in verse 1. He says, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now, understand context here. This is the Roman Empire. It was still a very polytheistic culture. They worshipped a lot of gods. They sacrificed to these gods. And a lot of times they would take meat and uh, kill an animal, offer it to one of their false gods, all right, and then sell that meat in, you know, in, in the public market. And so what would happen is there would be some Christians who would come along and say, I, I can't buy that meat because that meat was offered to a, a false god, and so the meat is now somehow tainted, and so they would have a personal conviction that they should not buy or eat that meat. Whereas yet other Christians were like, I don't really care if it was offered to a false god. The god isn't even real that they offered it to to begin with. They can say a few incantations over that animal. doesn't make it any different for me, and so I'm just going to buy and I'm going to eat it joyfully. And yet the same Christians who had different views about whether or not this was acceptable to eat. And therefore, those who had a conviction in their conscience that, no, 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 this meat is bad, it's tainted, it was offered to these false gods, they would only eat vegetables. And the others who were like, no, it's everything's go, you know, fire up the barbecue, it's okay. And so they would eat everything. And so that's what he's referring to here. But he does refer to those who says, no, 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 I don't want to eat this, it was offered to idols. He refers to them as weak. Now, I don't want you to think of them as weak in terms, he doesn't mean in terms of inferior. What he means is in terms of their faith is just at a certain level where you have to respect that. Now, a weak faith can come because either, A, for example, you're a brand new believer. There are a lot of people, when they first get saved, and maybe they haven't grown enough in their faith to understand some things, and so they might have certain limitations or certain liberties, depending on what angle they're coming from. And as a result, Paul says, you know, you can be weak, for example, because you're a baby Christian. You could be weak, for example, because you grew up in a legalistic home. And so you're very much by rules, and you don't understand the bigger picture of grace, and so your life is regulated by rules. Now, I will guarantee you, though, that those who have been raised in a legalistic home do not think they're weak. They think the other ones are weak, because they think that if you want to do whatever you can, you're not as mature as I am who live by certain rules and regulations. 
You can also, for example, in terms of Christianity, you can belong to a church and never really hear the Bible preached, never hear Scripture taught, and so you can be weak in your faith because you're just malnourished. There's a lot of reasons that someone can be weak in their faith, but he doesn't mean it as inferior. He just means that's where they are for whatever reason. A newbie in the faith, maybe they grew up legalistically, maybe they are malnourished because the Scriptures were never really taught. They are where they are. And he says, for that reason, we need to accept them. We need to accept them right where they are. Let God grow them. That's not up to us. What's up to us is just to accept everybody where they are. And if you're weak or young in your faith, then somebody needs to accept you. Now, he also says in verses 3 and 4 that the man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord and is able to make him stand. Now, he uses that last context to say basically that God is our master, and so we are his servants, and in that sense, we belong to him. And so you don't tell somebody else what to do. That's up to God to bring conviction or growth in the life of that believer. But what he also adds there is, number two in the list, don't pass judgment on someone whose faith gives freedom. We are all accountable to God. And some people might have certain freedoms or liberties that you don't. Okay? The one who has freedom and liberty cannot look down their nose at someone who feels like, I just can't go there. And neither can the one who says, I can't go there, judge the one who goes there and thinks of them as not as spiritual as they are. There's too much of this judging going on in the body of Christ. We have to be careful as it relates to these disputable matters. We're not talking about clear commandments of Scripture. You and I have a moral obligation to lovingly address something in the life of a brother or sister where we see compromise scripturally, where there's clear biblical instruction and there's compromise, you and I have a responsibility in love to privately go to someone and point out. Now, again, not because we're without sin, be careful how it's done, but out of love to say to someone, you know what? I'm not judging you, but I'm just concerned for you. Feel free to point out your concerns in my life. But we have that accountability for each other when it relates to clear scriptural things. But when it relates to things like I just listed as examples, these aren't so clearly outlined in the Bible sometimes. So what do you do about those things? You accept those whose faith is weak. You don't judge those who might have a little freedom in their own lives related to these disputable matters. Number three on the list... Each person should have a clear conscience about what he or she is doing. Look at verse 5. He says, One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Do you see that? Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So he talks about a day here, and some saw certain days as sacred. You know, the Jews in particular, they still wanted to practice certain feasts, and they saw certain feasts as sacred, 
And even as believers, even as followers of Christ, they still wanted to practice some of the feasts, looking back to see how Christ fulfilled all those things. But you have these Gentile believers who are coming in. They're like, we don't know anything about the feasts. And so that day isn't sacred. And the Jews couldn't look at the Gentiles and think, you should be practicing these feasts. And the Gentiles shouldn't be looking at the Jews saying, you shouldn't be practicing. They needed to have some accommodation for each other. And the bottom line was, what about your own personal conscience? Are you convicted about what you're doing or not? Because on these disputable matters, if you have a clear conscience, then it's permissible for you. Now, Paul would say in Corinthians, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So we still have to weigh like, well, this might be permissible, but is it good for me? Is it right for me? Just because you might have freedom doesn't mean you should always use it because it could be detrimental to you and to others. I'm going to get ahead of myself, but the idea here is conscience is really where it is, where we have a clear conscience before God. Do you have a clear conscience? As it relates to that list, whatever it might be, if it's attire or music or movies, or so, if you feel at all, and this is where we as believers have to really be fine-tuned into the Holy Spirit, if we have any hesitation, any pause, anything that we feel like the Holy Spirit is saying in our hearts, eh, Do you get that little pause? Don't go there. Don't do it. Because that pause from the Holy Spirit is your conscience being engaged. What did Paul say in Acts 24, 16? He says, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. It's it's vertical and horizontal. I want to live my life in a way that I have a clear conscience before God and before one another. But conscience is going to be that still small voice of the Holy Spirit that begins to challenge you about this is right or this is wrong, where there may not be a chapter and verse for it. We have to be tuned into the Lord, and we have to get a clear conscience. And if we don't get a clear conscience, you better not do it, because look also at verse 23. Jump ahead near to the very end. Verse 23, he said, But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So what he's saying is he's making it very clear. If you have a clear conscience, fine. If you have any pause, any hesitation, don't do it because you'll violate your faith and it's sin. Be very, very careful. Don't be so concerned about what others are doing. Be concerned about what kind of a conscience do I, am I clear about this? 100% clear. That'll determine the freedom or the limitation. Number four, what we also have to do is, he says, whatever you do, do it unto the Lord because we will all be judged by the Lord. Okay, so whatever we do, we better be doing it as unto the Lord. Like, okay, Lord, I think this is fine with you. Uh, Other people might take an issue with it, but it's, it's under the category of disputable matters. I have a clear conscience. I'm doing this for you, and I think you're okay with it, because ultimately one day I'm going to have to stand before you. If you can't pass that test, then you should restrain yourself. Because notice verses 6 through 11. He says, he who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord. And gives thanks to God, for none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Okay, it's all about the Lord. And he says, for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, 
Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Note that. And then that's where he adds, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So, ultimately, God is the judge. And when it comes to some of these disputable matters that aren't clearly defined, we have to have a clear conscience and recognize one day we're going to stand before God. And if we believe he's, he's okay with this, then I got a clear conscience. One day I'll be standing before him. Our judge is not to be one another. Our judge is ultimately to be the Lord. Then number five in the list. And this is a strong point that I just want to really drive home. Verse number five, he says, don't let your freedom be a stumbling block that distresses or destroys others. And those words are words he uses, not me. Distress or destroy. Those words are right here in the text. Look again at verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. Okay, so Paul realizes, you know, even though it might have been offered to idols, he says, as one who's in the Lord Jesus, I personally know that there's no unclean food. But, middle of verse 14, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed, there's where the word's used, because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating, here's the other word, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Okay, now he's talking brother, sister, he's talking about those in Christ, in the church. So this is an important thing because in all of this discussion that he says about you don't have to worry so much what other people think because God is ultimately your judge and as long as you have a clear conscience and don't look down your nose and don't judge somebody else, he says, but, he says, having said all that, I just need to make sure everybody understands, do not use your freedom however you want because it just might distress or destroy another person's faith. So then wait a minute, should I be concerned what other people think? Yes, to a point, yes. To a point we all should. Liberty does not mean insensitivity. And some of us in our liberty have become very insensitive to other people. Because we think it's just me and God. It's not me and God. It's me and God and everybody else. And there's a point that all of us have to be aware of how our freedom could potentially cause someone else to stumble. I remember when I had just received Christ and I was a babe in Christ... And I remember being at Safeway in line behind a man that I just had learned was a devout believer. And in fact, he was running a national Christian organization. And man, that guy had gallons of wine. He was obviously ready to party hardy or something. I don't know what was going on. And I just remember as a young believer looking at that, and that stumbled me. I don't know enough about the Bible to know that he had some liberty in that area. All I can tell you is the volume of it and me being new in my faith, it was startling to me. We have to be careful to recognize other people around us who may not have the same freedom and liberty we do. 
Okay, I'm going I'm to drive this whole thing about alcohol home for just a moment because some of you want to drink and you have the freedom to do that. There's some liberty in that. I'm not going to tell you no because I think the Bible gives some freedom. I will tell you this. There are more than 230 references to alcohol or intoxication in the Bible. The vast majority are warnings about its destructive nature. Fifteen references alone in the book of Proverbs to wine or beer or intoxication. Thirteen out of fifteen are strong admonitions about its destruction. Somebody dies in the United States every 30 minutes because of a a drunk driver. Alcohol is the third leading cause of death behind heart disease and cancer. I've never had anybody sit in my office and say to me, Pastor Gary, I just want you to know all the wonderful things that have happened in my life as a result of alcohol. It's always been the opposite. My child was killed because of it. My husband beat me because of it. By the way, three out of every four domestic violence situations are alcohol-related in the United States. I lost my job because of it. I've never heard anything good that comes of it. That said, do you have some liberty? You have some liberty. But you better understand this. You have people coming over to your house. You better know whether or not they might possibly be a little bothered by it. And err on the side of, I don't know where they are with the issue, so I'm not even going to bring it out. Because we have to be considered about where other people are. And other people may not have the same freedoms with certain stuff that you do. So if you go to a restaurant, ask. And if they are honest enough to say, yeah, I'm kinda, I kind of prefer not to, then don't. And don't get an attitude like, well, it's my life and it's Jesus and I don't care. And Jesus drank and I'm going to drink. Yeah, well, you know what Jesus said also at the Last Supper? I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until the kingdom of God comes. So you can drink when Jesus comes again. We have to be careful about the insensitivity sometimes because we think, well, I got the liberty. I got the freedom. I can do this. I can do that. Really? Because what I read here is that there's a pretty strict observance of consideration of others in all of this freedom. Jump down to verse 20 and 21 where he even talks about the issue of alcohol. Verse 20, he says, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. He says, It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. See that? This is important. You might have certain freedoms. You might have certain liberties. But we had better be considerate towards one another who may not have the same liberties you do. You say, well, that's restrictive. No, that's love. If I lay down my rights out of consideration to you, that's love. And if you do the same towards me, that's love. That's loving each other. You're not having to really sacrifice anything. You're just being considerate to somebody else. The last one on the list, number six, he says, is to do what leads to peace and what builds each other up. Verse 19. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. In other words, what he's saying here is, it goes beyond asking the question, what can I stop doing that might offend my brother or sister? And asks the deeper question, what can I start doing that would build up my brother or sister? That's the question we should be asking. What can I be doing in my life that will build up you? What can you be doing that would build up me? How can we strive for peace and mutual edification? 
I'll close with this saying, and I don't know who to give credit to because there's all kind of debates. Was it Augustine? Was it a guy named Rupertus Mildanius? Nobody really knows. But in essentials, unity. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. In other words, in the non-negotiables, in the salvation issues, unity. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, in the disputable matters, you need to have a little liberty. But in all things, charity. May we always have love towards one another in the body of Christ. Amen. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we dig into the book of Romans. Isn't Paul's faith inspiring? Did you know you can download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you wherever you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word right at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to meet you in person, too, at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Stop in for a service this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m., or join us for our Bible study and fellowship on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pastor Gary would love to shake your hand and answer any questions you may have about the study about Cornerstone Chapel, or about how you can have a relationship with God. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can listen to additional teachings from this study or read accompanying resources on our site as well. Just look under the Teachings tab. That's all we have for today, but join us next time to learn more from the Book of Romans right here on Cornerstone Connection. Got no place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.